Hello and welcome to episode 256 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav, here for one more week in Chicago, and then my holiday is over, Mm -hmm. and I return to some other part of the world until further notice. But with me on the line from a different suburb, it's the godfather, Dave Harbarger. I'm here. Happy New Year to everybody. Things are going to get a little weird this episode, as I like to say sometimes. Uh, There was some hype in the Discord because the subject of this podcast leaked, Devin. It leaked Mm, on somebody's stream this afternoon. How do you think that could have happened? (laughs) Because we all have a very, we share one engaged community member in common in Turtle Power who was like, you guys are not going to believe what this episode's going to be about. Devin, just because you're a card-carrying fourth host of the Dive Down doesn't mean we won't sue you for breach of NDA. <laughs> oh, true. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll have my lawyer reach out. We'll, we'll let it slide this time. It's a bummer we only have to see each other once on this visit, Stan, but you know the holidays are crazy. And it I is what it is. I always said this. Yeah, it is what it is. I always said that it's a cr- the craziest time of year. That's right. Also with us from one of Chicago's furthest suburbs, New England, it's Devin O'Donnell, a.k.a. Is, now, is this pronounced Jumwake? <laughs> However, however you would like to say it. Oh, okay. Well, it's nice to finally meet you. <laughs> I'm here. Actually, I got the green screen up, so you can actually crop me out and put me in a Chicago suburb as well. So we, we could all be in Chicago at the same time. Dave, let's put him on the bean. Put him on the bean. Well, if we put him in a suburb, maybe he goes in a Winnetka. Maybe he goes in a, in a Northwestern suburb. Maybe he goes in a Edison Park. Or, well, I guess that's the actually Home Alone part of the city. We can put him in the Home Alone yeah, house. Yeah, he can go in the Home Alone house. Do you like Home Alone, Devin? I do like that. Is that a Christmas movie, by the way? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yes. All right. I don't know. I've, I've heard some discourse. So definitely a Catherine O'Hara movie. Also true. That's her name, right? Yes, it is. Okay. The wonderful <laughs> Catherine O'Hara. Yes. You know what else is wonderful? Heavy play, my friend. Heavy play, my true. friend. Yes. The card gaming accessory brand that's designed to improve your gameplay and your game day. We all use it. Even Doomwake is a proud sponsor. Affiliate? Affiliate. Friend, friend and affiliate. Yeah. Yeah, all the above. Colleague, their play mats, their deck boxes, their card sleeves all feature enhanced ergonomics designed for better mobility and protection. And their unique equip mag system allows you to magnetically attach dice, bundle decks, all to your play mat and carry it in one hand as you move around the tournament floor. Maybe you're playing in the Nerd Rage Series Championship this January. Maybe you're just going to Ghent for the modern European rcq later this month i see you out there europeans and if you use heavy play accessories it's going to get easier to move around to different tables with all of your cards and whatnot so you don't have to fumble around put things in your backpack dice all over the floor you have to ask a stranger to help you pick up your dice why do you have a 10-sided dice it's not useful in magic at all that weird pyramid dice who uses that you do for some reason and you could keep it in your have you play box? Okay, I think they get the idea, Stan. Have you play? Are we dice shaming? Let's not dice shame on this show. Yeah, we, this is a season of forgiveness. We Look, accept all sizes and shapes of dice. All you D&D players with your 40 hey. types of dice. Okay, enough. You too can use heavy play equipment. That's right. And, uh, you know, one thing that was really nice about this holiday season, I'm not going to talk about this for too long, but we had a bunch of people post up their orders uh, they're, as they showed up at their homes, gifts they received from family, things they bought themselves for the holidays. And if you would like to grab some heavy play for yourself, 
uh, and maybe come in our Discord and post post it up when you uh, want to show it to us. You can go to heavyplay.com and use code the dive down twenty twenty three. Still, it's dive down twenty twenty three at least for a couple more weeks. Maybe we'll talk to Randy about that this week for ten percent off your first order. So heavyplay.com, check it out. We appreciate you and we appreciate them supporting the dive down. But after that, Stan, I hinted, what are we do? What what are we doing this episode? Well, Shane's not here, so. We right. get to do whatever, do whatever we, we want. want. That's yeah. that's right. Yeah, Shane has veto power. When Shane found out what we wanted to do this for this episode, he said, "I'm good." <laughs> I'll see you. He's taking a week off. Direct quote. <laughs> he was like, "Nah, I'm good. I'm good." We are doing a multi-format grab bag, which is within our purview, but not the typical formats that we discuss historically. We're not talking about historic, though. Just so people no. know. No, absolutely not. No, uh, it's no, more no, of a no. timeless, a vintage, timeless, three-dimensional square of an episode. We've been having fun in the liminal week between Christmas and New Year's, and that's what this episode is truly about, because Stan, Dave, and Devin have all been grinding the vintage cube, mm-hmm. casting Moxon for free. Do you do it on turn one, or do you wait? No one knows. You should probably do it as soon as possible. We've also... To my surprise, honestly, have dipped our toe into Timeless on Arena. The hype train yeah. came a call and choo-choo. It is the Christmas hype train. That's right. We're playing another digital-only format, and that's Timeless, at least this week. And maybe we'll talk about a few other things in the 2024 kickoff episode that this is. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. But first, a little housekeeping. Yeah, we got a few new patrons. We got Daniel R., we got Brian H., and we got Maxon. Sup, sup, sup. Thank you so much for your support. If you would like to support us, you can check us out at patreon.com slash the dive down, where joining will get you uh, for as little as $1 a week. We'll get you access to our Discord. And then the tiers go up from there. It is time for maybe some swag refresh. We've been talking about it for a long time. I'm just going to keep saying things. If you'd like to buy some swag that is not available via Patreon and you want to support us directly, go to our store at thedivedown.com slash store. You can also go to Manitraders if you want to go rent some magic cards for Magic Online, manitraders.com and use code thedivedown2323 as a way to get 10% off your first two months of rental cards from Manitraders. Manitraders, longtime sponsor of the Dive Down. Not playing with them this week, but you know what? We're always playing Modern and Pioneer as well, and we use Manitraders to get those cards. And finally, if you would like to get some grooming care products, you can check out Barrister and Man. We'll talk about them a little bit more later in this episode. That is the Dive Down 23, spelled out as your code to get 15% off your first order there. I'd like to issue a quick correction. It's not Brian H. It's Brian B. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I, I just want Brian to know that we see and acknowledge you. Yes. Thank you, Brian B. Brian B. Specifically. Brian H. is get out of here. <laughs> Brian B. Good. Yeah. Brian B. Good. All right. Lastly, you know, we've had a long time relationship with Energy, Nerd Rage Gaming. We may talk about it a little more later, but probably not too much more. We're, but Energy is having their championship series, championship tournament this weekend. Is that right, everybody? Yep. So sure. this is their invitational where the winners of the previous challenges that they've had and people who've qualified via points are going to face off against each other for great prizes in a multi-format, uh, multi-format tournament. Devin, are you commentating on this one at all this weekend? Or are you yeah. Yep. Do you know which I day am. you're gonna be on? Um, I don't think we have the schedule hundred percent, but I, I think I might be doing the morning shift on Sunday, maybe, but I'm not hundred percent positive. Okay, awesome. Well, stay tuned for that this weekend, and we will certainly cover part of it next week on the show. The other thing I want to say is I know that people 
would really like to hear what we have to say about Rakdos grief scam remaining among the decks in modern that are playable and winning things we will be talking about that next week as well devin's giving a big thumbs up right now i'm pretty sure that's sarcasm but Hmm. maybe i don't think that was a thumb he was holding up (laughs) that was the other finger devin you have a really weird looking finger it looks like a thumb guy's got a finger like a thumb yes we know people want to talk about that we're just taking a little breather and having some fun. And uh, we think enough people have been having fun with the cube. And Devin certainly has a lot to say about the cube. And so uh, we felt like it was a fun time to uh, check in on it and just kind of roll with it for this week. So please forgive us and indulge us. Hope you have fun. Let's just say that my, my cube takes may lose us some listeners. So Oh, Ooh, that's what I'm talking about. Wow. The hot Shane, Shane really is a way. But where did this episode come from? Because... The Vintage Cube and other cubes on Magic Online and Arena and elsewhere, they come and go. It's the seasons change. But something happened that I think we can almost call it an inciting incident in this particular Vintage Cube season that piqued my interest a week or two ago. Okay. When I started suggesting we do a Vintage Cube episode. And that was, simply put, the fine folks at Daybreak Games gave everyone a free pass to the current iteration of MTGO's Vintage Cube. Now, they do that every year, for what it's worth. They did last year. Yeah, so I think this is just like the second second time they've done this. Still, they got you. Their marketing, their guerrilla marketing tactics got you. Happy holidays. We knew a free sample was all it took to taste that sweet, sweet 3D square. Yeah, I was going to say, the other thing that has gotten me more interested in Vintage Cube, honestly, is... Uh, Stan's fine friend group here in Chicago who likes to vintage cube. They have included me in cube several times over the last year and I've really enjoyed it. And so I was ready to roll when, uh, when Stan was like, let's give it a try. Yeah. And, and Dave, when they included you, it's because they just needed someone to replace me. I know who was on the dive down and chains too far away. I've been very clear about this. I understand they have an opening for on? one podcaster. Yeah. Uh, but you know, thank you to, uh, to that crew for including me. In that, And so I was ready to talk about it. And so there's some interest. And then Devin, we were just chatting in Discord and he was talking about it. But also we saw Devin's epic Twitter thread from the Cube for Charity event that included many trophies that we can talk about in a moment. Um, So that's how we got here. We came, we cubed, we conquered. It's free real estate. Look, they give you a free pass. And I'm here to start this episode by encouraging you to use it, even if like you abhor drafting and limited for, you know, whatever your reasons are. I think it's a, f- a missed opportunity to skip this one because Vintage Cube is unlike any other limited experience. It's high power, it's high synergy, and it may be one of the only places where you can like realistically build a deck that has a Mox Ruby and a Black Lotus and a Soul Ring and lots of other powerful and fun cards from Magic's history up till today. At least since I was 16 or 17 years old. Because back then we just we just all had them at the lunch table, you know. And and look, the thing with Vintage Cube that I think can be scary to some newcomers, but maybe even appealing to some of our listeners who are enfranchised modern players, which is the power level is so high. Like this is a limited environment where you are occasionally losing on turn two or three, or winning on turn two and three if you've drafted right and drew a, a you know a nutty hand in your opener. So I think we're gonna try to like do an episode not just in defensive cube, but kind of talk about like some of the fun we've had to highlight why this is a special opportunity, especially one that's, I think, free to many of us. Um, if you had an MTGO account when 
the passes were were distributed and um, hopefully Devin can impart some wisdom as well. Yeah. And one thing you brought up, Stan, it's like it's not really your traditional limited format. Like a lot of if, if a lot of people at home who haven't drafted Cube and, and maybe are more kind of kept up with recent limited sets where there's a lot of combat tricks and a lot of uh, attacking and blocking and things like that. Vintage Cube can be some of that. Like they're definitely specifically, you know, we'll talk about what my archetypes I tend to favor are, but it's kind of like you're almost, this is going to sound weird, but you're drafting a constructed deck, right? Mm -hmm. You're not really Mm -hmm. drafting a true limited deck. You're, there's way more synergies that you can, like you said, just build upon. Uh, There's a lot more like, you know, there's different combos and things. So it feels a lot more like constructed than normal limited does. Which is good and bad. I kind of think honestly, like there, there, that's one of the aspects that I didn't like about cube for a long time, but I think eventually I kind of just became so charmed by the novel experience that it is to draft and play with these super powerful cards and like play with the greatest hits. I I think that knowing a little bit of the types of archetypes that you want to expect in the cube or the types of synergies that you can see is really helpful after drafting, you know, drafting it a few times and getting into it. So I do think you can go into it without knowing much, or you can go into it being ready with a couple of different playbooks that work for you. And the funny thing is, I think that it's become somewhat easy to tell like what lanes are open on the sort of stock decks somewhat if you've played a few times, which can help you if you're having kind of like a bad draft, um, including one or two specific archetypes that I think uh, really stand out as far as things that you can take the pieces of to, to make a, a deck. Mm-hmm. And I think Devin, I, I like your point that you're drafting a constructed deck. I think that on some level has helped me and potentially can help others picking up the cube for the very first time because you're going to see powerful cards that maybe you've like played with in modern pioneer or elsewhere um, or even commander and uh, kind of recognize like, Oh, if this card is being passed to me, I probably know how to make it good based on previous constructed play experience without literally knowing every of the 540 ish cards that are in this iteration of the cube. But I think we'll get to more of that later. Have you guys ever drafted a real vintage cube? Yes. Just curiosity. Real cards. Yes. No, I think you. I might I might have once if the but the power was fake. I think everything else might have been real, but I don't think I've like I have I have yet and you know, I've been alive for a while. I've not held a physical piece of power before. So Oh really? Yeah. Devin, this at February, it's all going to change for <laughs> you, buddy. Point. If you come to Chicago, we've promised you steak dinners, and now I can promise that you can hold a piece of power. Enticing. I'm going to have to think about that. I'll put it on your steak. Uh, Stan, you have? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if every single card, especially every single power card, was real, but like I've known people who've had versions of Vintage Cubes for like years now, even before I introduced you to the Logan Square Boys. Yeah. I was drafting vintage cubes like God, maybe before the podcast started. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was a guy that used to play at Brainstorm, the store that you and I used to play at, who had a cube that I contributed a couple of cards to. I gave him a beta lightning bolt and a beta Lanawar elves at one point in time to go in his cube. Uh they were only worth like twenty or thirty dollars at the time, and now you know, mm. a lot a lot more money there. But mm. uh yeah, Adam K, if you're out there somewhere. You're, you were you were a real one, had that real cube. We drafted at the store one time. We had to like everybody nobody could leave until every card was counted after the after the cube was was done. Get some security guards. Yeah. What's the name of the magic card? It may be like it's definitely a vintage card, maybe from Alpha Beta. And it's got a like a polar bear on it. Winter Orb. Winter Orb, thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. My friend 
like my the people who I've known for a long time that had a vintage cube once asked me to get their winter orb signed by the artist at like some GP I was going to. Mm-hmm. So I I took the card and I I handed an artist whoever that winter orb artist is I handed this person like a stack of cards including winter orb and he looked through them and then he, he took them out of sleeves maybe I don't know um, and then he he looked at the winter orb and he's like I can't sign this 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 card isn't real and it's like, a no, it's I, Mark Teton by the way Mark. Oh, that sure. Well, Mar- Mark shot me down, wouldn't sign my winter orb. And I was mm. like, oh, okay. Because he knew it was fake. Turns out there were other cards in the stack that were also fake that he did sign. So, Whoops. Uh, you know, Uh-oh. turns out artists are, are reticent to sign proxies because it can create the illusion that they're real. Yeah. And I think they're like cognizant of market value to some extent or like the importance of separating proxies from authentic cards. Anyway. That's an interesting digression. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> It's a, it's all about the fun. All right. Does everybody here do we do we want to say anything about what a cube is for people who don't know? It's 540 curated cards. You draft it in packs of 15. It means that in a in a group of eight people, you're only gonna see what 360 of the 540 cards. So there's 180 cards in the cube that are not in each draft. But it is somewhat deterministic, I guess you could think of it that way, where it's sort of like you know the set. There's only one of each card. It's not like a regular draft in the sense that you're like, oh, there might be four copies or whatever. There aren't. You don't know. You you know, there's either one or zero, and you have a two third shot of seeing basically any card in the cube. Maybe this is going a little bit too more like in detail of you know the draft, but keep in mind as you know as Dave mentioned, you're only seeing two thirds of two thirds of the draft, and there are certain cards within the cube that are extremely specific and only work with like you know card A works with card B, and if card A is not open and you have card B, there's sometimes within in extreme situations there's just not a lot to do with card B, so you always have to keep that in mind as well and think about like if you have a combo in mind and you're like I want to draft a plus B. If one of those pieces happens to work with other cards more so than the other, you're going to want to prioritize taking that one first. Yeah. Can you give us an example of a classic one? I know we're not talking about specific cards, but what's, what's one card that comes to mind that is really in the, one of those a plus B combos that's really bad by itself. Um, I think in this cube, the, I think probably the, the best example I can give is doomsday where Mm -hmm. if you take doomsday, it's completely obscene. If you have the fastest Oracle, I guess there's there's more than one thing to do with Doomsday. There's like Oracle, Jace, and then Sheldock Isle. So, but like, let's assume that you don't get any of those cards and just have Doomsday in like a, you wouldn't play Doomsday in a fair deck. You know, it, it, it is a combo card. So if that one has more things. It's like more B, C, and D that go with it. But that that's probably the best example that I can think of. Yeah, great point. So people who have drafted Vintage Cube in the past that haven't drafted this one yet, they might be a little intimidated now too, because this year in particular... Daybreak under friend of the show Ryan Spain with the addition of a new cube design consultant, Chris Wolf, have actually been going hardcore and iterating on the vintage cube every quarter or so. Um, this particular iteration that's live now, I think it has a hundred changes versus the last run of the vintage cube. And they've done that a couple of times where they just like stripped a hundred cards, added a hundred new ones using data based on how often are people picking cards and trying to like take out the least popular ones and put in some new technology. Um, But they're also doing this new-ish approach where they're looking at packages. So for instance, Devin mentioned the the Doomsday package. Splinter Twin used to be in the the cube and the Splinter Twin package, including like Deceiver, Exarch, and Pestermite and whatnot. Gone. It's gone for now. 
and it might come back, but they're looking at not just like less played or less popular cards, but they're also looking at fundamentally adjusting certain archetypes and expectations with different versions of the Vintage Cube so that it doesn't get stale either. And I think for some true heads, that can be scary or disappointing. But, you know, for people like us who are discovering this for the new time, for the first time, like, it can also be fun because I think it levels the playing field a little bit too for people who are very well-versed with the Vintage Cube versus someone like us. Like, it's a little easier to kind of discover it with others at the same pace, basically. Another great example of that, like kind of the package deals would be the domain stuff. There's so many different cards that I think it was like Tribal Flames, Leyline Binding, Rada, uh, Najila is a five color card, like a whole bunch of uh, Neshoba Brawler too, like a, an entire just archetype that they just added in this one iteration. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, that one maybe not so good, but it, it is pretty fun to like just have those different types of decks that you can draft. I will say there's one that I think is good that they added on this iteration, which is they added Scapeshift, Valakit, Prismatic Omen, and Dryad of the Elysian Grove all in this version of the cube. From what I could tell, Primeval Titan was already in the cube from what it looked like to me. So that's not new. But obviously, that those are all cards that pair with Titan to be able to let you to play a scapeshifty Valakit deck if you want to. Uh, Titan also pairs really well with Field of the Dead, of course, which was also in the cube before. So they powered up these kind of like land synergy decks a little bit. So, and I actually felt like when I saw that deck work, it actually was pretty good in this cube. So looking at the uh, change list, I actually found a better example of A plus B, which is Thopter Sword, where Mm -hmm. like the Thopter is actually a fine card if you don't have the sword. The sword by itself is basically unplayable. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's a terrible card. Yeah. All right. So how do how do we want to approach talking about this? You know, we all have notes on like decks we played. There's some lists of cards that we like at the end. Like, what do you guys think is the most interesting to just like talk about the experiences of the cube? Well, let's start with um, the strangest outcome. I trophied a cube. Well done. My free cube, in fact. I I I got high off my own supply. Now you're hooked. I'm hooked. <laughs> Gotta go back in. Stan. Stan. Stan took the free sample, trophied, and was like, I need to go on my podcast and tell all of my listeners that I trophied with this cube. And so we're doing a whole app about it just for that. Yeah, I think that's what Shane probably assumed. <laughs> but yeah, and and like, I, I think it was a little bit of blind luck and like, a, you know, a teensy bit of experience I had drafting paper cubes, of course. And like, I saw good cards and I took him and I managed to build a good deck and a hot cube where I only lost a single game in my league. Um, I, I won a couple matches 2-0, which is cool. Um, so I want to talk about my deck because I actually think it's a good way to start introducing people to some of the types of decks they can draft or can even expect to see. You know, one thing that's really popular, I think, in Cube and is actually somewhat playable is like Blue-White or Jeskai Control. And that was essentially what I drafted. And the only reason I drafted that is because I got past like... Teferi, Little Teferi and Big Teferi. I got past an Umazawa's Jite and a Monastery Mentor and a Blade Splicer. And I got a Mock Sapphire and a Mana Crypt. So I was like, I've got all these three jobs that I can potentially play on turn two. I'm going to... Or turn one. Or turn one with the Mana Crypt, yeah. Um, so I'm just going to like draft removal, play some powerful uh, Planeswalkers, and try to finish it off. And it, it worked. And I've, I've never played with GTA before. And that's just one, like, that's a card that has pedigree. And I was like, okay, I, I found GTA. Eventually I found Swift, or not Swift Spear, um, Stoneforge Mystic. So I said, let's just do it. 
I had one Mystic Target. It worked well enough. Flame Tongue Kavu, that's a good card. Drafted it as well. Classic. True name, cute, true cute name Nemesis. That was another early pick. Oh, Amazing God, card. True I'd name Jite. Yeah, true yeah. name Jite is absurd. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that not only highlights like you can draft a fair-ish controlling deck, but also like if you know what a good card looks like, such as Jite, such as True Name Nemesis, such as Moxin or Mana Crypts, you can kind of just like take them and start trying to build around them and and looking for specific synergies to maximize their power as much as possible, while also looking for ways to ramp them out as soon as possible with um, different Moxin or Mana Crypts or Soul Rings. Yeah, one one thing you mentioned you brought up there, stayed on your deck list is you the some of the cards you listed like Umazawa's Jite, Flame Tongue Kavu, a couple of other ones, uh, a lot of anti aggro cards, and th- and that's maybe the at least one thing that I have noticed about this cube is the at least the success that I have had uh, the I have had the most success when I'm drafting, not necessarily like the aggro deck that you would normally associate with cube, like mono red or mono white, but just more aggressively slanted. Like even when I'm drafting green, I think that's maybe one of the best examples of people like the, the green decks that you used to draft in cube were like, you would play a ton of ramp spells, like six or seven, it's somewhere between seven and 10 mana dorks and just like a ton of top end. But if you look at some of the green cards they've added, they're like two and three drops, like Sentinel, the nameless city court of Garen Brig, these like mid range sort of cards that actually pay you off for being more aggressive. So that's like something that I've noticed is that my green decks are just generally more aggressive than they used to. Be. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So so w- with this particular draft, I have two questions for you guys. Question the first. I want to talk to you about my pack one, pick one. Oh, here we go. My, my opening pack had a mana crypt, a time walk, and an ancestral recall. No, you're like, lying to me. Come on. You're, that's, that's fake. <laughs> two power cards in mana crypt. Three, three power tough. cards. Yeah, <laughs> Mana Crypt's basically power, honestly. Yeah, honorable mention of power. It was a tough, 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 tough decision because like Time Walk and Recall are amazing, right? You you always take them. But I took the Mana Crypt because I thought the Mana Acceleration is probably going to be more powerful over a longer range of games and over a wider range of situations. And I got to live the dream enough times where like I played a turn one blade splicer and just like one on turn four. What would you do in that situation? That's a tough pick. I would I would just say, can I take the whole pack? Yeah. <laughs> can I leave. just leave? Can yeah. I just leave not take pack any more from pack one? So, I once heard, I, I think it was Luis Scott Vargas, maybe you've heard of him, mentioned that like Soul Ring is actually the best card in Vintage Cube. And like you need to take mana acceleration as aggressively as possible. And I think that was playing in the back of my head when I made this particular decision. But yeah. Maybe that's not true anymore. I don't know. I tend to agree with that. And, you know, I, I normally I think in previous uh, in previous versions, I, I would maybe consider taking the uh, the Mana Crypt. But I actually it's it's weird. I think that Mana Crypt is more powerful in a vacuum. But I think Time Walk is better if you can synergize with it. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is there's a lot of cards like think Snapcaster Mage, Eternal Witness, Tamio. Uh, there's like all these cards that, that rebuy time walk from the graveyard or give you another go at it. And that like the times that I've drafted time walk, when I've taken it early, you can just build an entire deck around it. And frequently you get to a position in the game where you draw time walk and you just take three turns in a row. And I think for that reason, I would probably take time walk and try to draft around it. But I mean, you can't really go wrong with any of those three cards. 
Yeah. For what it's worth, I probably would have taken the colorless card to stand just because it mm-hmm. keeps me more open. But yeah, right. You know, I agree with Devin not being not being any kind of expert in vintage cube, but I think you'd have a fun time with any of those three cards. So that's yeah, that's cool. You definitely would. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Good job. All right. And question the second. I think this one's a little more transitional. I have found that people love playing blue white or Jeskai control a lot, and. I even think it's probably one of the better fair decks in the cube. Do you have a similar assessment? Or maybe you disagree. Mm, I'm not a huge fan of blue-white. I actually, so like I I tend to, and I think it's just, maybe it's just because I have a, like a very, very extreme hatred towards the color blue in general, um, where it's it's not like me as a person, but in this specific cube, like the way that blue the, the control decks turn out, it's like their answers cost two and their threats cost like four and five. And because, as I said earlier, this version of the cube feels like it's so much more aggressive that the aggressive decks can just very easily get under the counter spells of blue white. So like if I'm drafting blue white, I want to be like, again, as I said earlier, I just want to dra- I want to slant my deck more aggressively. So I want to be like the white aggro with a blue splash instead of being blue control with a white splash for very that kind of stuff sorts the plot shares but yeah in general i just like I, i'm just not a huge fan of blue control mm-hmm. so okay let's talk about aggro i i was just gonna say for what it's worth i think that those decks can be good i would assume if like many de- you know if it's like a combo control deck so if you have if you're controlling and you have tinker which is a deck mm-hmm, that right. Devin and I were looking at before you joined on the call where I was, I didn't, I was a little bit lost at the beginning of the cube. I got a bunch of reasonable cards, but I ended up getting Tinker and Blightsteel Colossus in pack two yeah. and was kind of like, okay, I guess I'm a blue white control deck with little Teferi and Wandering Emperor and Source Plowshares, but I also have Tinker so that I can try to kill somebody that way. And so I think if you can close the game extremely fast, like that feels a little better than. I'm just playing a control deck because one of the things that I struggle with a little bit in cube draft, to be honest, over all the years of trying to do anything or be any good at cube, which, you know, comes and goes has been, you know, avoiding drafting the dragons and wraths deck. Have you ever heard Mm -hmm. about like this cliche that like people in, in, cube draft tend to fall into, I'm going to take all five drop haymakers and wrath of gods and, it doesn't work, right? So it's like you want to make sure you're you have a more proactive plan or a plan that really closes quickly or something that's kind of unfair in a deck like that, I think generally speaking. One last note on control. I think one of the best control win conditions, believe it or not, is actually Zerta because Zerta combos with both Grim Monolith and Basalt Monolith to give you infinite mana, and that can parlay into you know a variety of different things, Shark Typhoon, Walking Ballista. So if you're playing a control deck, I think that might be the one card that would get me into it. As Dave said, you just need a way to like kind of have a combo finish. You can't expect to win a game where you're like, counter your spell, counter your spell, play it to Fairy, because the cards are just so much more powerful than Teferi. Okay, so, so I agree with you, but let's also be cognizant that the control decks in this format, because they have access to fantastic mana with like fetches and shocks and original duels, you can play uh, Uros and, and Omnaths and uh, God, I already forgot what Oko. Croak says Oko. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, and, and I guess like maybe in the deck that I drafted, I did have a combo of true name plus Gta surrounded by a bunch of removal. Like that kind of does the trick, but. I, I like your point about Tinker. I like your point about combo control, but let's not overlook the fact that you have access to the most powerful control finishers that actually 
don't force you to go above three for them in some cases. Above three mana. Yeah. Like Tinker, which is right. less than three mana too. There's, I guess Zerda. Zerda's a three mana card. There you exactly. Go. Yeah. You know, it's funny. And there's all these little combos like that that I just forget about. Like I completely forgot about Zerda plus Basalt Monolith or um, Grim Monolith, right? In, in, you know, I saw Zerda in a couple of my drafts and I was like, what am I going to, what would I do with this? Now I know. It's so good when you have it. I've had it a couple of times and I've done the combo a couple of times and oh, it's, it's such a good feeling. I mean, you had a list where you managed to have Zerda as your companion, yep. right? Was that, did that, I don't remember the list off the top of my head because I, I did want to ask you what was going on with that list. Did that have monolith, one or two monoliths in it? It did, yeah. I actually have the thread up here so I can pull up the list. That was one of the three O's. So I had, I mean, I also had Soul Ring, so that kind of helped. But yeah, I had uh, just Basalt Monolith with Zerta in the board. And then for the Infinite Mana Path, I had Shark Typhoon and Ugin. And I actually I actually got to post a screenshot of this on Twitter where I made a 6969 shark, which is pretty good. And uh, nice, yeah, nice. that that deck was that deck was sick. Just like it, there, it didn't it doesn't look like a good deck, but just because you have the out of like, oh, if I drop a salt monolith, that is a one card infinite mana combo. And that is absurd. Yeah. Yeah, truly. We should also mention for people who don't know, Devin is like 10th on the trophy leader. <laughs> leader I got number on. 19 today. Number 19 today. I mean, you're way up there. It was funny. You're above I, the fold. I saw your thread about the, because the, part of this is because you played cube all day mm-hmm. last week for charity. Right. And you got 10 trophies during that or something. Yeah. Like, it was so a lot. It's the cube for charity event. Big, big shout out to, um, to the people who put it on. And what it was is it was uh, Jim Davis was the captain of our team and then versus Jabra, who was the captain of the other team. It was a 4v4 style thing where we streamed for it was a 48 hour marathon event while raising money for charity, all a great cause. And um, the team with the most trophies was the winning team and and the winning team would or the losing team would give money to the winning team's charity and so on and so forth. And over the course of those 48 hours, uh, I streamed for 32 of them. So that's oh not gosh. bad. And wow. then uh, I got 10 trophies in a total. We got I got 24 drafts in. And I got 10 trophies. Unbelievable. And, uh, it was it was amazing. It was it was such a good time. Really, really good event. Did your team win? Of course. I, they had me on my team. I was going to say, it seemed, seemed like it would happen. I just wanted, no, to, well, I, wanted I, to I say ask. that. I, I say that I got 10 trophies. Somebody else on our team, Aria, also got 10 trophies. So we nice. both we both kind of just like carried the load. And Jim Jim got one trophy. So he's like, he's he's pulling. He's got the little bag over his head, you know, carrying it along. But it was just, uh, it was an amazing time. So, yeah. And I posted all 10 of the trophies and uh, six of them, which actually kind of surprised me. I didn't realize it was this many. Six of them were green decks. And that I would kind love of, to talk about green shortly here for sure. Yeah, well, that was going to parlay. That was going to parlay me into if if we want to go to my my opinions. Um, I I really actually do think that. It, so it's weird because when I when I laid out my top ten, like top ten, sorry, I should say top ten non power cards because obviously the Moxes, Lotus, Yeti, we're not going to talk about those cards. Those are the top ten, but. If I look at like top nine, to can, be honest, I was gonna say, yeah, can we just nine. say really quickly? Can we just say really quickly? You should try to take those cards basically yes. over anything <laughs> that you see pack one, right? Right. Like yes. even a generic mox is really good in your deck. Like a mox that gives you just colorless. It's not always amazing, amazing. I guess if you like drafted a uh, a super aggressive low to the ground mono white deck and you're just gonna kill people, you don't want mox sapphire in your deck if you have a bunch of white pips, maybe. Maybe you probably <laughs> still do. To be I, still honest. Th- I still think you might. Yeah, exactly. But it's just I, half I, of a soul ring. It's a free soul ring that only gives you one 
Pip right. of Mana. Right. So I, you will take those cards. You will and take a land. Black Lotus. So you will take you that. You played instead of a land. Is Time Twister still in this cube? Time Twister is. is still in this cube. That right? card so, sucks, though. I was going to say, you, maybe you don't take Time Twister. People no. used to count that as Father Power 9. That's not as good. Don't do that. Right. But you Ancestral, Time Walk, Lotus, the five Moxes, and then Soul Ring remove Time Twister and put Soul Ring in, in instead. And then, yeah. Yeah. Mana Crypt. Exactly. Mana Crypt is too. the other one. Yeah. Yeah. But no, okay. when I was when I was making the top 10 list, I've realized that there surprisingly wasn't enough green cards. There wasn't a lot of green cards on there with compared to how much that I draft green. And I think the reason for that is because nobody drafts green like almost every single draft that I'm in. And, you know, maybe you guys can uh, attest to this. If the drafts that you were in, the green cards just keep flowing around the pack. And if you're the only green drafter at your table and you get all of those mana dorks and all of those like busted three and four drops, like it just seems that your deck is is just kind of absurd. Mm. Well, I think there's one specific reason that they're absurd, though, because when I counted your decks, Devin, you know, like yeah. you said, you had I counted nine trophies for what it's worth. Maybe I missed one. You had four green decks that had natural order with them. In that them. card's good. And of the four decks, four or five decks now that I've drafted, the only ones that I've done well with are natural order <laughs> decks as well. So natural order best card in the cube. I mean, it, it is different than it used to be because Progenitus is no longer in the cube and it wasn't in the previous iteration of the cube either, but still similar to Tinker. And maybe this is just some of my like old, you know, boomer magic tendencies showing, but to be like, you know, these cards from vision and, and I don't even remember what set of Tinker was in anymore. Or is this legacy? legacy maybe? Yeah. The, these like search up and cheat a card into play by sacrificing cards were always very good and always very abusable. And they're still really linchpins of strategies that you can really think about in the cube. I mean, the payoffs for natural order, I think are a little less clear. Now, Devin, what is your favorite thing to go get with natural order? Right. Atraxa. Now? Atraxa is by far, the, I think, the best one. Yeah. The second, like, there's a couple of other good ones. The the ones that stand out to me after Atraxa are obviously Crater Hoof. Depends on your deck, though, because yeah. Crater Hoof is not a good turn three play, where if you right. go Manador can have nothing else in play, you don't want to just attack them for six. You'd rather get more stuff. And then Torsten is another really good one. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think they got rid of Progenitus, yes. right? Is because it makes it much harder to know, to want to aggro out a natural order at this point. I mean, you can aggro out an Atrax if you want to, but... So you take the natural order as quickly as possible, ho hopefully during pack one, so you can then build mm -hmm. around it. But let's say you don't find like one of these flagship payoffs. It's probably still good with just like a Titan of Industry or a random Eldrazi. Like you just Cold try Love? to get like the, the highest mana threat you can find. It's only green it. creatures though. You can't right. you can't get Eldrazi. Eldrazi are for channel, right? That's that's the other like creature combo that you see in Cube a lot. Um, the this happened to me a lot, Stan. I never had Atraxa in my deck in any of the two that I drafted. I think I actually I don't know. I feel like I had a third one as well. But Titan of Industry was definitely the card that I ended up with a lot. I mean, I actually had a draft that I did pretty well in. I was a blue green deck with where I just got all the cards. It was like blue-green, I had Oko, I had Uro, I had a bunch of mana dorks, I had Natural Order. But the pack one, pick one of that was actually, I took Crater Hoof Behemoth, pack, pack one, pick one, because the pack was so bad. And I was just like, well, green seems to be flowing all the time. And I guess I'm going to take it. And of course, it was like a high-risk play, but I also was in a good blue-green value deck. And then I got Natural Order it like halfway through pack three. And the choice that I had to make at that time was being in a blue 
blue-green deck, I had to choose between Oko and Natural Order. Not Oko mm. and Natural Order. Sorry, Uro and Natural Order. Oh, okay. And That's I took easier. Natural Order. That was easy. <laughs> but I tabled the Uro and got Uro back at, like, pick 12 of pack three and was like, you know what? I guess I'm just the blue-green player. I'm just supposed to be the blue-green player, you know? Another green card that kind of sort of, I mean, it works with Natural Order, but, like, a green card that I see go frequently very, very late that listeners at home, if you're in, if you're into the new like standard limited format, gruff triplets, which yeah. is I've heard the best rare and in, in whatever set that that's in. It's still Whoa. really good in cube. Yeah, I, I had gruff triplets in the decks that I drafted natural order in. a trick that I also pulled more than once was and tell me what you guys think about this. Maybe this is too risky, but I natural ordered into drange hermit to get is that the hermit that's in here? Right, natural order to derange hermit, deep forest hermit. Yeah. That's what it's called. It's derange is the other one, the one that has echo or whatever. So I would natural order into that, then play eternal witness, get natural order back, Ooh. sacrifice get the one hoof. Of a creature and get hoof, and then attack with the with the squirrels. I like it. TikTok. Mm. That that worked a couple of, a couple of times for sure, but I do think it was this. It put this weird kind of rhythm in where it was like, oh, I'm my deck is set up to natural order twice because mm-hmm. actually I had um that the blue green Tamio as well, and that was all that I had Tamio for was to get natural order back out of the graveyard. Like you know, it. green's good. <laughs> yeah, green is. But I totally agree. Green is very good. It's it felt way better than everything else. It felt like the cards are open. Uh, maybe that might just have been where I was for the drafts that I did, but I agree. And I didn't even play the types of decks that you have talked about, Devin, where you were like actually trying to aggro people out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I haven't had success with that, but it felt like all the pieces for the combos were available anyway. Yeah, you you mentioned some aggro stuff. So what did, what did you what have you drafted besides green? So I tried a, a um, really the only deck that I tried was red white artifact aggro, and this one. I don't know, felt like a train wreck, or maybe I just didn't play right, or I got bad matchups. But I had a draft that started with Retrofitter of Foundry into Brea's Apprentice into Gut, True Soul. And I was like, okay, I'm like the artifact, sacrificing, going to do interesting stuff deck. And I think I just kind of fell off the end of it, where I I ended up with a bunch of kind of like bad red two drops and not enough kind of like powerhouse cards. And I don't even know going down this direction, like maybe what I missed or what I was missing from my deck. I had Lightning Bolt. I had Chain Lightning. I had the I had Glimmer Lens. I had a couple of other things. And I just could not get my feet under me to actually go for it. All right, question. Is Lightning Bolt actually good in this cube? Yes. I think it, it is, is if good. you're aggressive, for sure. I mean, I guess I, I haven't drafted a lot of red, so like... Yeah, I, I just feel like whenever I'm playing a red deck lightning bolt or shock effects like don't do enough to disrupt an opponent who is like going off yeah like like dave said it kind of depends on how aggressive your deck is like if you are much more low to the ground which most of your red decks probably are then you know the just like the three damage upstairs if you can couple that with like a prowess trigger or soul scar mage monastery swiss spear or, or something along those lines but yeah like there are definitely sort of bigger red decks that kind of go like Chandra glory bringer. I've even had like seething song red decks where they just try to like seething song into a big thing on turn three. Mm. And those decks are like trying to go a little bit bigger than lightning bolt. So, I mean, I would play lightning bolt in, you know, probably every red deck, but like you said, it's, there's definitely decks that it's better in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
When you imagine the ideal kind of red aggressive deck, because I know that you like gut too. That's part of the reason that when I saw it, third like that card third is pick, so good. I was like, I'm going for it, and um, I think I only triggered it like twice for some reason. Do you what What do you think are some of the key cards for an aggressive red focus deck that you've been successful with? So it's interesting, like. So you mentioned gut as kind of like when you had started, you were like, you want to, you, you see gut and you want to build around it, right? You want to play like retrofit or foundry and all these things that make tokens. But the thing is you kind of don't have to do that. So like the way that I think of gut is yes, there are certain cards that it works better with like Karizev because you can stack the triggers to where you get the token and then stack the Karizev token, uh, stuff like Magda, all, all that kind of stuff. But even if you're just playing, like assuming you have no synergies, nothing that makes tokens, even just upgrading your like Monastery Swift Spear into a 4-1 Menace or upgrading your two drop that can no longer attack because the thing about Gut is it doesn't have to attack. It's whenever you attack with anything. Um, but as far as like ideal red decks, I mean, the red cards that I'm looking for that I would consider signals are Ragavan, Laelia, Fable, and Fury. Those are, I think, are the four best red cards. If I see any of those, I'm under the assumption that red is open. And but yeah, from there, I don't know, just like I like Enti a lot. Uh, we mentioned Gut. I like Chandra. See, it's weird because the two drops aren't super great, but I think the one drops is where I would like value a lot more of my picks. I would I would value the one drops much higher than the two drops in that case. Yeah, and that's most of what I drafted. I did have another blue-green time walk deck with Oko. Uh, I, I would love to take a second here because I, I was trying to fire off Field of the Dead in this deck, and I don't think I had enough cards for it. I had like 10, so I only went one, two with this particular deck. But one thing that I had in here that I'm curious about is I had Time Spiral and I had the blue-green boat card. What's it called? Sail to the West? Sail, yeah. Yeah, what do we think? So you said Time Twister sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, let's talk well, about draw draw sevens. Like, where where are draw sevens good? I guess so, is what I'm what I'm curious about. Right. Yeah. So I don't think like Time Twister doesn't necessarily suck. It just needs a very very specific deck, right? So I think that the draw sevens are good if you have fast bond which is a card that just allows you to play any number of lands. So you just like dump your hand of lands, play the, play the draw seven, dump your second hand of lands. And then the other place that the draw seven are really- you have to pay one life, Devin. Yeah, You have to pay one life to put those lands into play. Come on. Uh, Yeah, I know, I know. When I played Um, in revised, we were like, this card's terrible. I'm never playing (laughs) (laughs) this. And then the other place that I like the draw sevens is kind of comboing with Shieldred, Bowmaster, Narset, or Hullbreacher. So if you can set up a draw seven with one of those four cards, that's super sick. Um, but you like you don't really just want to play a draw seven in a random deck. You need to have a very good reason to put that draw seven into your deck. Yeah, and that was the problem with the with part of that deck is I had those two slots for that, and I every time I did it, it was like the classic thing where it was like, well, it felt like my opponent took advantage of it before I got a chance to, even though sale is an instant and with time spiral you untap it still felt like maybe i was helping my opponent out more than i was helping myself out with those sometimes i want to talk about aggro because historically one of the strongest if not the strongest aggressive deck in vintage was mono white Mm -hmm. and in this iteration especially they i don't want to say they like gutted mono white aggro but they cut a lot of mono white cards and replaced them with either more expensive white cards or cards in other colors. So that mono white aggro like wasn't quite like on rails as it used to be for lack of a better word. Um, 
So A, I'm curious, like, can you still play an aggressive white deck? And if not, what what are the most aggressive colors? Like, can you play aggro in black? Can you play aggro in blue? Do you need to be reddish? Do you need to be greenish? So you can honestly pretty much play aggressive in any in any color. Uh, looking at the changes, like I know you had mentioned they, they cut a lot of the white cards, but if you look, kind of look at the white cards they cut, uh, like Boonbringer Valkyrie, Elishnorn Grand Cenobite, Elspeth Sun's Champion, Iona Karmic Guide, Resto, Resto Angel, like a lot of these Sun Titan, a lot of these cards you would not want to put into your model weight aggressive deck anyways. Um, I, I do believe that model white is one of like, I think you can definitely draft model white and I've had quite a bit, quite a bit of success with it, but it's like you said, it's not as aggressive as it used to be. Like typically what I think of model white in previous iterations of the vintage cube, it's like, you know, eight or nine to 10, one drops and then a bunch of anthems. Right. And now it almost feels like it's much more not mid-range, like true mid-range in the sense, but it's not as aggressive as that. And you're utilizing kind of those value engines like Wedding Announcement, the Wandering Emperor, stuff like that. And you're kind of like, not taxes essentially, but you're not as aggressive uh, as some of the other decks. Cool. But is your what's your favorite way to go with aggro though? Like if white is still passable, and I'm trying to set you up for, for the last five <laughs> zero that you posted in your thread for what it's yeah. worth. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, I think I prefer like if I had the choice, I definitely do like being in um, like some sort of base red deck, whether that's mono red, red, black or red, green. I think that the red cards lend themselves to be it, it, the reason I like the red cards so much is they're aggressive, but they also play kind of both sides of the coin very well. Like Ragavan is insane on turn one, but on an empty board on turn five or turn six, it's still really good. Stuff like Fable, Gut, Fury, Laelia, like these cards are all super aggressive, but they're all card advantage engines. And that's kind of where this all comes from. It's almost like it's like fire design, right? Where a lot of the powerful red cards are just cards from the last two years. And that's not a coincidence because all these cards they added are just super, super powerful and they're so flexible. Yeah, I was going to say that just generally. It felt like a lot of the new cards, newish cards, let's say last five years of cards, basically, really like they stand out as far as just power level. And it's the it's this mix. And I, I'm sure people have said this before, but it's like the old cards are amazing enablers and the new cards are amazing payoffs that like far outstrip some of the old payoffs that you used to be able to get. Like even Progenitus, for example, versus Atraxa. Like I know Progenitus has a protection from everything. It's impossible to get rid of. But like Progenitus is a 7-7 that flies and has Vigilance and Lifelink and draws you six cards. Like it's, you know, it's it's this total wild like other way that the game works now that I think Vintage Cubes actually makes that kind of stand out a lot, maybe for good or for bad. But I do think it's cool that the creatures that are being designed in this era of magic stand up well against things that happened in the past. Like, no problem. Right. Yeah, yeah who thunk? The, the new cards are good. Yeah, the new <laughs> cards that everybody has said are power creeping have crept. Yeah. Same with some of the new commander cards. Well, I totally agree, Stan. Like, the commander cards are huge in, in here. And in particular, one, I don't know if you have something you want to go to right away there, but one thing I was going to mention about Commander was the Monarch. I've had a lot of games, mm -hmm. it felt like, where Monarch was very important. And it feels like 
kind of annoying, but at the same time, it also just makes me understand a little bit more of the experience people had playing with initiative cards in these cubes, which I think are, in these cubes in previous years, which I think are gone now at this point. But the Monarch is still very good. And in particular, one card that I played with a couple of times was Court of Garenbrig, which is that card is unreal. What is that card? Why does yeah, it do it's what it absurd. does? It is completely absurd. If you go like, if you're playing a deck that has Llanowar Elves and you go turn one Elf, turn two Court in the play, it, it the game's over. Like it, yeah. we're just done here. It's so it's so messed up. I'm gonna read this card: Court of Garenbrig, one green green for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you become Monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep, distribute two plus one plus one counters among up to two creatures. Then if you're the monarch, double the number of 1-1 counters on each creature you control. It's cards like this that make me say, Bolt isn't good. <laughs> like, sure. Like, maybe you're bolting to the face, but it's just like, every anytime, like, a deck is doing well, they either don't care about the removal spell, or, like, their creatures are just bigger. I, I still think that Bolt is good for reach purposes more than anything like if your deck wants reach to help close the door then i think direct damage is okay but i totally agree with you that like it's not always removal right it's only sometimes removal and there are cards that get decks that are too focused on red burn style of play right that don't have any card advantage like, you know, Devin was saying the best red cards are the ones that give you a lot of card advantage now or help you cycle through your deck or give you card selection. If you don't have that and you just have a deck that's full of lightning bolts, you will probably lose because they're just run out of cards. And so that's that's the thing with any deck, I think, in cube is you have to have a way to refill or make sure you're getting card advantage. And that, that's like a totally normal thing to say about limited. But I think when you talk about lightning bolts specifically, it's like, yeah, you got to pair it with something that's going to let you refill your hand if you use a card for three damage like a monarch card for example mm. if you can pull that off because yeah um i've got another commander card that keeps kicking my butt okay. um like i think i've seen it at least once in every mm. against played against me and that's staff of the storyteller mm-hmm. one in a white for an artifact when it enters the battlefield create a one one white spirit creature token with flying it also says whenever you create one or more creature tokens Put a story counter on staff, and then it has white tap, remove a story counter from staff, draw a card. And the thing that I noticed when people play this against me is that they're not necessarily playing dedicated token decks. There's just a lot of incidental ways to make tokens in like a ton of colors, especially off-white, that it's really easy to use this to just like generate an insane amount of card advantage while also producing a bunch of threats. Even if they're small dinky tokens, eventually you find a way to like make those tokens valuable elsewhere. Yeah. That's like the perfect example of a card that, you know, maybe if you look at previous iterations of the vintage cube and mono white decks, maybe that card is not as good because they're much more, again, lower to the ground, much more focused on, on that sort of thing. But in this iteration of the cube, it's a lot more about, uh, cards that replace themselves card advantage over the long term. Not, not as much of like, you know, you're curving out perfectly with creatures, but like that, that type of advantage and that's that seems to be that's more important because that's how you compete with those other you know commander monarch type of cards that are those are those are some of the best cards in the cube mm-hmm. should we talk about what we think are the best cards in the cube speaking of best cards no. in the cube <laughs> sure you know, we've talked about a couple but Devin has nicely put together a list stan do you have anything that really stands out for you before we go through this top 10 beyond power that you want to throw out there let's let's start with the, the carefully curated list and then i'll disrupt it later okay. with Ooh, okay. My with Teferi five. Yes. Half baked opinions. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. So uh, over the course of the draft, the drafts that I've done, I've compiled a top 10 non power cards. Uh, and I do include Mana Crypt and Soul Ring in the power. And as we talked about, no Time Twister. So basically take the power nine minus Time Twister plus Crypt and Soul Ring. You would typically want to take those 10 cards over basically anything that's on this list. Um, but the cards that I have will go in, uh, in descending order. So we'll start with number 10. We'll go court of Garibrig 10. Uh, that was the, you know, one of the cards we mentioned, one of the best green cards, parallax wave at number nine. Wow. Um, parallax I, is, wave. yeah, I mean, this is just, I, I personally think this is the best white card. I, I did have kind of a tough, uh, it, it is a little close between this and palace jailer. I mean, another commander card. Another um, monarch card for that yeah. matter, which I agree. Palace Shaler, extremely good. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, I just find myself that I win so many more games when I resolve Parallax Wave than when I resolve Palace Jailer. Can I read Parallax Wave really quickly for sure. people who, yeah. who didn't play during, um, <laughs> let me see. <laughs> I, I played with it in standard, I think, oh, when boy. it came out. So this is a Parallax Wave. It is an enchantment. It is two colorless white whites. It has fading five. That means it comes into play with five fading counters on it. In the beginning of your upkeep, you remove one. If you can't remove a counter, you sacrifice Parallax Wave. And then it says, remove a counter from Parallax Wave, exile target creature. And then it says, when Parallax Wave leaves the battlefield, each player returns to the battlefield all cards they own exiled with Parallax Wave. It was in Nemesis when it first came out. There's the symbol for it. Yeah, and there's also a sick combo if you have Parallax Wave and then follow up with Containment Priest. So what ends up happening is containment priest says that uh, I believe it's the text is creatures uh, can't enter or creature. If a creature would enter the battlefield and it wasn't cast exile it, I believe, or not token. So what happens is you parallax wave all their stuff. You play containment priest. And when the parallax wave dies, all their stuff would come back. But containment priest exiles instead. So it's basically just like wrath your entire board. Uh, So you can you can do some pretty stuff that pretty sick stuff that way. Yeah. Uh, number eight, the only black card on my list, which is Demonic Tutor. Uh, a t- little bit of a tough call between this Orcish Bowmaster and Shieldred. I think those are my top three black cards. Um, I did want to include a black card on here, but I I don't know. Between Demonic Tutor, I think it's that in Bowmasters for me. Um, I think I like just the flexibility of Tutor a little bit more. It's just, it gets you anything, you know? Yeah, I was going to ask you a question. So I, I think there are differing opinions on playing tutors for value in cube like and demonic tutor when i when i was playing magic originally so of course my bias is to like just put demonic tutor in my deck and be fine with it because it's powerful but some people don't like the mana inefficiency or whatever like you think it's fine to just put demonic tutor in a deck that doesn't necessarily want to find a key piece it's obviously super good in decks that want to find something but yeah yeah. yeah, no, I'm 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 totally into just playing demonic tutor. Like if you're your black mid range deck, you know whatever the best card in your deck is, you now just have two copies of that. And if the best card in your deck is Shieldred, or the best card in your deck is Bowmaster, and having a second copy of that is is pretty good because those cards are just completely absurd, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm super into that. Um, number seven, which is a card that you modern listeners may remember, this one, Ragavan Nimble Pilfer. I wanted to put it higher, but the other red card that I have on my list, well, multiple red cards that I have on my list, uh, I think I like a little bit more. But I mean, yeah, there's not much to say about Ragavan. Cards busted. <laughs> Even in cube, it's just like you play it on turn one. If they don't have a removal spell, the game kind of is. It just snowballs out of control from there. Yeah. Little known fact. My favorite card. <laughs> I know. My, my favorite card. Probably of all, of one of my favorite of all time now. Yeah. Ragavan. 
Love it. It's a, it's a good one. Uh, number six, this is kind of th- the reason this is so high on my list is because it's flexible and that's ancient tomb. So listeners at home, maybe don't remember what this does. It's simply just a land that taps for two colorless and you take two damage. Um, this is what I like to call soul ring at home because it's, you know, basically it's, you're getting the mana advantage, but, uh, you're doing it on a land, which is, it is worse because you're using your land drop for it. But I mean, there's just like, like I said, the flexibility of this, you can first pick it, pack one, pick one, and it just goes into basically everything. It's good and aggressive. It's good in ramp. Um, there's not really a deck that I would ever cut ancient tomb from. Yeah. So that's number six. Uh, number five, you might be surprised this is, I guess, low. I'm not sure what, what you guys would think of this, but Oko Thief of Crowns, number five. Mm. <laughs> mm. Seems like you Love have it. you got something, Stan. Oko, I just think people don't play this card enough in Agreed. every format. I, yeah, I I'm surprised say, it's not in Pioneer and Modern. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> N- not, to, not to self-aggrandize too much, but my one trophy deck, and for the record, every other draft I've done, I've gone like, one twos and squeezed out a two one, but I'm, I'm not a cute master. I just, I did well one time, but my one trophy deck, I knew it was good when I beat an opposing Oko. Yeah. Just cause like my opponent had Oko doing its thing. And then I just played a true name nemesis and it was just like, who's Can't the elk that. now? Uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get through this. So number four, we have whole breacher. Uh, this is another commander card. A lot of people may not remember this one, but it's a three, two flash for two and a blue. And then it says with an opponent would draw a card outside of, uh, rather than the first card they draw for their turn that that player skips that draw and you get a treasure. So if you play, uh, as we talked about the time twister earlier, if you have a hope return plan, you cast time twister, you draw seven, your opponent draws zero and you get seven treasures, which you can then use to cast those seven cards. So Ta-da. Uh, that's a, a pretty busted combination. Uh, th- commander people yeah. people maybe maybe that's why they don't remember it yeah mm, that's a good point yeah rafelos is too i found out that i found that out the other day yep Ruf- yeah rafelos is 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 it to- it's totally banned right like it's not just, i think so, you can't yeah. have this as a commander uh and then we got number three lailia the blade reforged uh this one is two another commander card uh, it's two and a red for a two two haste whenever it attacks you exile the top card of your library uh, and then it's, I believe you can play that this turn. And then whenever a card is put into exile from your library, you get a plus one, plus one counter on it. So it kind of gives you an extra card and while growing, while having haste, um, you know, I have this higher than Ragavan. I do think Lyelia is probably the strongest signal for me to go into mono red. Like if I see that card fourth or fifth, I'm just, you know, slamming it and assuming red's open because just I've had you know great great experiences with that card. This card to me has always been so confusing for what it's worth, just because like I'm always like this card doesn't look that strong when you read it, so it must just play a lot more powerful. You know what I mean? Because it's like oh, it just gets bigger and it has haste, and sometimes I get to cast the cards, but that's just enough, right? Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it it's super sick. Um, number two, Minskin Boo, Timeless Heroes. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're, we've been playing a lot of timeless and I've cast this card a couple of times in timeless. It is the timeless hero. So it only makes sense. Um, this one, I I, I was just gonna say, I lost at this card. Somebody played it on turn one against me on a, off a black Lotus. Oh, they played, they played mountain black Lotus Minskin boo off a a mall to four. They mall to four and I still lost. (laughs) I, this card is cocoa bananas. I lost to this when someone cast it on. Turn four. Yeah. You don't have to cast on turn one no. for it to be good. Yeah. Super, super good. Two red green for a planeswalker. Uh, it has a static. 
when it enters the battlefield and at the beginning of your upkeep, you may create Boo, a legendary 1-1 red hamster with trample and haste. Uh, the Planeswalker enters with three loyalty counters and it's got a plus one ability. Put three 1-1 counters and up to one target creature with trample or haste. Conveniently, your hamster has both. Um, and then minus two, sacrifice a creature when you do. Minsk and Boo, Timeless Heroes, deals X damage to any target where X is the creature's power. If the sacrifice creature was a hamster, draw X cards. And what people have been doing against me with this card is making a big hamster, getting me down to such a low life total that they can then eventually fling it at me and just kind of win without doing anything else. No, it's really, really good. Really, really good. And like I said, you know, I tend to favor both red and green. So if I'm opening Minskin Boo, probably get a draft red green. And then uh, number one card in the list. Number one card. I keep getting past this card. Eighth, ninth, tenth pick. And I do not understand why this is fourth Erlingus. Um, again, I, I think I would take fourth Erlingus over every non-power card. And I just I, I don't know if I've lost a game where I've resolved it. Um, for the listeners, it is X, a red and a white. You get X two twos that have haste and trample. And then it also has another line of text that says whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player this turn, you become the monarch. Now, what's nice, what's worth noting about that is it says whenever a creature. So you can honestly just cast this for two mana to make zero tokens and then just attack them with something else to get the monarch. So it's super flexible. It's like it's good, you know, on turn three, if you're on the play, just two, two haste attack, steal the monarch later in the game. If you're flooding out, it's just the best card in your deck. Um, yeah, I just, uh, there, I don't think there's really anything I would take over that card besides power, of course. Yeah. This is a sorcery, by the way. I don't think you mentioned sorcery. that. Sorry. Yeah. This is from Tales of Middle Earth Commander. Guess how much a paper version of this card costs? It's like 30. I, I see it as low as 20, oh, okay. as high as 27. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's a legacy playable card, so that's and and a commander playable card, so people are pretty into it. Um, yeah, I had this card in one deck and never drew it, unfortunately. So much to my chagrin. Stan, any anything you want to add? I think I've mentioned the cards that I would add in this neighborhood. You know, Palace Jailer is one that I would add. Devin also talked about Bowmasters. Um, o- Othari Sun's Glory is that the green five drop from the latest Ixalan set? Is that what that card is? Or no, this is three a red and a white. It's the Boros three three flying haste lifelink, and whenever it attacks, you get an experience counter, uh, and then you put a two two red rebel creature tapped and and attacking into play for each experience counter, and then you can pay two a red and a white to tap an untapped rebel you control to return it from the graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Totally different card. That, that card. That, that card is obscene. Yeah, that card sounds super powerful as well. Yeah. Uh, the only card I would throw on this list that we mentioned earlier around this list that uh, we haven't talked about here is National Order, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but other than that, it feels like, yeah, this totally makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I would, I mean, these existed in previous iterations of the Vintage Cube, but um, Tinker, I think Tinker's like an insanely powerful card. It's it's almost like this one card combo that wins on the spot. If you have Lightsteel Colossus uh, in your deck, it that's usually enough to, to close out the game, but um, I've never seen anyone cast a tinker and then resolve it and then lose. Also, like, probably an obvious, but true name nemesis, I think, is just kind of, like, always good. Um, like, edicts are one of the only ways to to remove it, to wraths, but it's, it's just so sticky. It blocks well, attacks well. Good card. The one other card I want to mention, and I, I want to 
get your guys' reaction to this. I've drafted it a couple times, and it's like always been fantastic. And that's Steel Seraph. That's like the white prototype angel at the beginning of combat. You can give a creature you control flying, vigilance, or lifelink. It can either come down as a 3-3 flyer or a 6-6 flyer for 6. And I've just found like I've had a lot of games where it's like the best closer. Where like what whatever my like other good creature is can't get through. And then like giving something lifelink or vigilance or, or, or flying most importantly. Just like kind of just ends the game on the spot. Um, so I've been drafting it somewhat aggressively whenever I can find it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I definitely like that card as well. Uh, what's really nice about it is you can actually cast it for, there's like a combo with it where you can cast it for the prototype half, and then you can blink it with either Flicker Wisp or a Touch of the Spirit Realm to then it returns as the big half. There's something cool you can do there. But yeah, I like that card. Just like the ability to, when you're racing, lifelink is important. Sometimes flying is important when the board stalls. It's just a very versatile card. Mm-hmm. And then like the last bit, perhaps of advice that I wanted to maybe take two minutes to talk about for people who might be trying the cube for the first time is like, what are reliable packages or two card combos or, or just like deck archetypes that may be useful markers of what to take? Um, like, for instance, the one that comes to mind for me often with Vintage Cube is like, if you can build a blue, black, entomb deck, like those are kind of easy to build. I think they're hotly contested, but if you can like, Find a, a one mana black spell that puts a creature into your graveyard and then like a one or two mana black spell that brings a creature out of your graveyard and a bunch of blue draw spells to kind of like pad the whole deck and like help you find combo pieces. You know, Gristlebrand is strong and you can find other good cards other than Gristlebrand to, to make this work. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of those like sort of one card payoffs and we've talked a lot about on this episode about tinker but one of the other ones that comes to mind is flash which Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. uh for those listeners don't know it's like basically one in a blue instant you could put a creature from your hand into play and then if you don't pay the difference in mana cost you sacrifice it or basically you just put into play and sacrifice it and there's some cool stuff you can do with like torsten atraxa gruff triplets uh, triplicate titan so that's like another kind of uh like a sort of a one card combo as well um yeah. but yeah Woodfall like you said primus yeah, <laughs> yeah. primus one, right? is nice too yeah yeah but yeah and to yeah. reanimate that's kind of the classic yeah mm-hmm. i mean there's that and then there's also of course we talked about natural order a bunch we talked about wheels plus cards that punish wheels that are very good on the, the cards that punish wheels are very good on their own or Spellmasters and shieldred narset you could go that way if you want to get people hull breacher like devin was saying that's another p- package that's kind of easy to build i think we mentioned the primeval titan package off the top that could probably be something people could experiment in this particular cube that they couldn't try previously that's like hey if you want to try to deck a, that's a little bit on rails you know you don't have to do it's not amulet titan it's valakite it's scapeshift titan more than more than anything else so if you want to try to go in there for cards that i think a lot of people don't want like people don't aren't it's not like scapeshift is good for something else or dryad of the elysian grove is really good for something else like if you can start to grab those pieces a little higher than other people want to pay for them you can put together a deck that that valakites people um and, and has a little bit of fun too in that combo realm um, those are probably the ones that I've seen the most frequently in the five or so drafts that I've done. Speaking of scapeshift, have you considered scapeshift with Hedron Crab? I have not. Have you seen people go for go for that one? So I haven't died to scapeshift crab, but I have died to crab fast land bounce or crab fast bond bounce land. 
So that's kind of a cool combo too. <laughs> that's very funny. Actually. I love that. Cause it just goes back to your hand, pay as much life as you want to. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. There's some cool stuff you can do with grab. I mean, that's the big thing about cube. I think too, is it's just like go and try to like, I'm not a brewer, Right. But I think that a lot of people who have that brewing itch, like Vintage Cube, there are so many little synergies that they've implanted in there that I think it's just fun to discover all the kind of little combos that you can have, the little edges that you can have in there, especially if you're kind of like okay with firing off a couple of drafts where you're just experimenting a little bit before you get serious about trying to get tickets back or something like that. It's fun. Yeah. 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 Love it. Dr. Sword is in here with Urza, so you can go infinite. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Um, Doomsday Thassa's Oracle. Yeah, that, that, that's an important one too. Um, upheaval, like I've seen some really good upheaval decks where you play like talismans and rocks and generate a ton of mana and then upheaval and then like recast everything and punish your opponent for not playing rocks. Yeah, classic, classic move. Yeah. We're on the same time one, I was playing Parallax Wave. <laughs> one last one that we didn't get a, a chance to mention here yet is Underworld Breach Brain Freeze because that that's also in the queue. Yes. Yeah, and people might not know that that is just like a deterministic combo, right? Like once you get it going, you need the third. You need the lotus or the LED. But if you have the third piece, then yeah, yeah. What is brain freeze? Brain freeze is mill three with storm. Um, storm. Yeah, mm. target player. So you just mill your whole deck with breach, and then you eventually mill them with brain freeze. Yeah, with the oh, last one. This happened to me. Yeah, I got milled <laughs> by yep. brain freeze. It sucked. Okay, that was fun. More cube content in 2024. They they said they're bringing the vintage cube back more than ever, and it is going to at least touch all 12 months. Oh, which might mean there's going to be like a day or two at minimum of every month that has a cube going, and they're not always going to change up a hundred cards. Like maybe it's just like a little upkeep here and there, and then they'll do bigger shifts quarterly or so. But there's going to be a lot of cube on Moto this year. Maybe we'll do a little bit more. We're not turning into a cube pod yet, but if if Devin and at least one other co-host not name Shane, <laughs> well, probably maybe not. this is the year we 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 convince Shane to cube. I think he might like it. All right, we're gonna take a break, and we'll come be right back after this. Stay with us. David Stanislav. Are you familiar with um, a family of perfumes known as Fougere? Uh, I'm familiar with, a little bit familiar with the concept that there is a Fougere. Will, our good friend from Barrister Man, has tried to educate me on this a few times. Yeah, well, I hope you paid attention because it's very relevant right now from our friends at Barrister Man. Fougere, I will tell you, it means fern in French. And I do happen to know fern, your favorite plant. I love a fern. Can't keep them alive. Not for the life of me, but... Weird. It's a hardy plant. I keep trying. The reason we were talking about Fougeres during this ad read is because Baudelaire is back at Barrister and Man. The Baudelaire shaving soap. It also has an aftershave splash. It's back, baby. And this is part of the Fougere methodology. Now, you're going to quiz me about Fougere. I would like to quiz you about Baudelaire. Yes. Mr. Charles-Pierre Baudelaire, French poet who also worked as an essayist, art critic, and translator. What I mean... What, tell me about him. Produce produce some debate club points right now. Sure. I mean, born April 9th, 1821. This is just off the top of my head. Okay. But like, okay. you know, born April 9th, 1821, died August 31st, 1867, mm-hmm. give or take. 46. Do you know what? how old I am? I'm about to be? Uh, 40. 
Five. I, I, wait, I, I know, I know. Yeah, oh, I was going to say that because you're ten years older. Exactly. Than me. Yeah. All right. Part of the decadent literary movement, but we'll we'll save that for another ad read as well. Mm-hmm. When we're sponsored by big French literature, big poetry. When big poems come for us. Yes, but Baudelaire. Let's talk about Baudelaire. Yeah, the fragrance from Paris Turn Man. It does blend the classic fougere fragrances of lavender and oak moss and coumarin, but it also features lang lang, rose, sandalwood, and the deep, richly bitter character of Mousse de Saxe. And it produces a fougere of singular elegance and, dare I say, distinction. Not unlike the namesake, Charles Pierre Baudelaire. Mm-hmm. I think you nailed it. The only last thing from Will's ad copy that I think is interesting is it says here, were Oscar Wilde alive today, this would be his signature. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So check out Baudelaire over at barristerman.com as well as tons of other amazing fragrances. You will not regret trying something of theirs. And if you need recommendations on a fragrance, you can reach out to Will directly or just ask us over at the dive down. We'll give you some tips. Shane loves to give fragrance tips. Shane loves to give any tips, but... Yeah. Well, Shane will smell your body virtually, and then he'll say, this is the fragrance for you. That's on the $25 an episode tier, though. Just keep that in mind. That's right. If you want to buy some Bear Stern Man, use promo code THEDIVEDOWN23, spelled out, no numbers, all letters, THEDIVEDOWN23, and that gets you 15% off your order from B&M. You're going to like the way you smell. I'm certain of it. So we went deep on cube. You knew we would. We, we, these segments, we always think we're going to do two segments. They're never balanced, but let's talk about another unbalanced and fun and interesting thing right now. And that is the latest hype format, I guess Mm. it's turning out to be on Twitter across the magic universe is timeless on arena. Against all odds, Timeless is fun. People love it, Question too. Mark? People love I, I've, it. I've uploaded a couple of Timeless videos, and they've been doing a lot better than my recent videos, so people seem to like it a lot. They're into it. So let's talk real quick about what Timeless is. So Timeless is Arena's latest, quote-unquote, digital-only format. It is all the cards on Arena. I guess if you think of it as uh, it's kind of like Arena Vintage, people who are familiar with Hearthstone would call it wild i guess at one point in time but it's just all the cards that are available on arena they're all legal including digital only cards the thing that they're doing here is they are playing with the paper versions of cards and the corrected digital versions of cards that have been rebalanced so none no card that exists in paper is the rebalanced version here it's only the original paper ones the other thing is that um you know it has a restricted list, which is kind of wild. This is the first format I feel like that's had a restricted list since like 1997. There's three cards on the restricted list. It is Demonic Tutor. Um, uh, I walked away before I remember what the rest of them are. Devin, do you remember Channel. what the other ones are? Well, that makes sense. And drum roll. I bet. Oh, so I, I bet Tybalt's people. Trickery. Oh man, I was gonna. I was Sorry. gonna. I was gonna slow roll it a little bit. I was gonna slow say. Roll. I bet the listeners can't guess that. Yeah. For some reason, Tibalt's trickery is restricted. I don't know why, but um, because it is a terrible card to play with, especially in best of one. Yeah, I think best of one is the biggest reason. Yeah. So these are good cards. I mean, Tibalt is a terrible combo piece channel is a terrible combo piece we didn't talk about that a ton in cube uh but channel is very good in cube as well for what it's worth uh and demonic tutor you know just a good card 
Um, let me say real quick what got me interested in it, and then we'll dive into it. I have been pretty outspoken about not wanting to play any digital-only formats on Arena, but then they printed cons into Arena, and I was like, well, it would be fun to play a fetch plus shock format of some kind on Arena, and this is the one that exists. So I started to get interested in it. It also doesn't look like, and we can talk about this more, it doesn't look like the digital-only cards are seeing that much play, which is also a little heartening to me. And also, you know, the fact that this format was like, hey, do you, do you want to play Phoenix? Do you like playing Phoenix? Well, now you can play it with Faithless Looting and Treasure Cruise. You know, it's like, do you like playing Ragman and Orcish Bowmasters? Oh, you can play with Brainstorm too. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can play Ragman and Bowmasters, but you can also play it with, uh, you can also play with Necropodence if you'd like to. So there's the, all these weird cards, thanks to, you know, the Enchanted Tales and the Strixhaven archives and all these things that really annoyed me about Historic because the power level of everything else was so much lower. Well, now we have a format where the whole format just feels like it's that powerful thanks to the random stuff that's been printed onto Arena. And so that was enough for me to give it a go. Devin, why did you decide to give this a go? It turns out playing with broken cards is really fun, especially in a constructed setting. So like what this format weirdly kind of feels like to me is just vintage cube but you get to play four of all the cards like sans the power of course but it's right. like i mean you're playing with oko ragavan minskin boo deathrite i guess deathrite's not even in the cube but deathrite shaman uh like you know we mentioned brainstorm dash order sneak attack blood moon it's just like some of like it's it almost feels like modern's greatest hits with the cards that were just added to legacy within like the past two or two or so years so it's like kind of like this weird middle ground between modern and legacy and it just i don't for what for for whatever reason the the marriage of those two is just has been so awesome that I've, I've been having an absolute blast like the i originally got into it because i wanted to build a sneak attack deck and i quickly realized that sneak attack is apparently not that good or the maybe the list that i just haven't refined it yet but um yeah i've, I've just kind of been addicted to it at this point yeah too bad about sneak attack another I card i love to play with in in cube for what it's worth but yeah, I I mostly was curious too. Once I saw you tweeting about it, of course, you know, like the Magic Twitter universe. Like when when you are tweeting about something and Everett or tw is tweeting about something, and it was kind of like, wow, these two guys are trying out Timeless. Like maybe it is worth giving it a giving it a look. And I saw some pretty sweet lists that Everett was working on last week as well. Um, I wanted to talk really quick about the meta game or the presumed meta game of what's being played here. So on uh, MTG Arena Zone, they posted up a best of three metagame tier list earlier this week. Uh, they acknowledge that it's kind of a low information format. There's not a ton floating around. There's no big tournaments. Like it's really hard to tell exactly what's going on. You can also only play ladder. Can you only play ladder yes. on, on this, right? So there's no event as of right no now. Yeah. Hopefully we get there soon. This is something that sometimes arena has taken a minute to do, which is like add a queue or add a league style thing to, to, formats like this one thing that i will mention and i believe you can find this on uh, anurag's twitter i believe his twitter is uh, on zmtg uh him and i believe will hall are going to be hosting an open open timeless tournament for a thousand dollars i believe it is january i want to don't quote me on this but i think it's the 12th it's either the 12th or the 13th you can check anurag's twitter but yeah he's going to be hosting an event next week well and he's also hosting an event with you this, this week, week yeah week, for right? creator clash yep 
Yeah, so he's invited 16 people to play a Creator Clash. You guys are going to stream it and all that kind of stuff. So if people want to watch uh, a bunch of great content creators play Timeless and check out what the format's all about, you know, keep an eye on when that is going to be out. Uh, I think it's on, is it on Friday? Yeah, this week's Friday. Right after the, it'll be right after this episode comes out. Yep. So I'm going to go over the tier list really quickly just to give you an idea of what decks are here. Some of it's by the name. I, we're not super familiar with any of these. Maybe Devin has more than a passing uh, idea on them. But So Rakdos Breach is is the number one deck according to to this particular metagame. You know, this is Underworld Breach in a red-black shell that casts... It's, it's a Tendrils deck. It's a red-black storm list. Yeah, it's just storm. Basically. Yeah, which, you know... A format like this with cards that have storm on them is always going to have storm as ever, one of the ever, things. Uh, you ever rebought an underworld breach with Luris? Because boy, does that feel good. Oof. No, but I would like to now. I mean, that's actually one of the things that I was really excited about this format. I love to have a format on the side that I can play Luris in, even though I don't want it in modern. Um, anyway, so Rakdos Breach is number one. Number two is a deck that's really surprised me as far as being. Uh, this high up on this tier list is Natural Order Primeval Titan. So is that, it's not Valakit, right? Is no. it Field of the Dead? Field. So it's yeah. basically Arboreal Grazer. Uh, there's a Kami card with Alchemy. It's basically the same thing as Grazer. And then Prime, your Natural Order Primeval Titan, Fierce Empath, Once Upon a Time is also legal, so you can play that card. Yes. And then uh, Sylvan Scrying and then like 32 lands. Yeah. But Field of the Dead. Field of the Dead. Rakdos Midrange, this is... M- Kind of a big mid-range deck, if I remember right. Like most of these play Shieldred, Bowmasters, Ragavan. So it's a, you know it's a scammy type shell fable, but they're also playing. This is the deck that's the highest up on here that's playing four copies of the One Ring, right? Yeah. So this is yeah. your ring deck. It's almost there's like a list in Modern that people have been working on with like Ring, Shieldred, Fable, and it's very similar to that list. Yeah which is cool. Uh, Domain Zoo, which also surprised me as being this high up. I guess this is your presumptive aggro deck uh, that's at the top of the, the list right now. Domain Zoo, you know, you can imagine a lot of these cards are from MH2, like Territorial Kavu, Stubborn Denial. It's basically Zoo from Modern for what it's worth. But with, The only um, thing you're missing is yeah. Scion. Right, right. And then the, the last one in their tier one is uh, Yogmoth. Actually, which is interesting. So it's a natural order fueled Yogmoth list. Um, so some familiar pivot cards, some familiar key cards uh, to what we've been, you know, what we have going on in modern in this. And then there's just a bunch of decks below this. You know, we have Sultai mid range, which is an Oko Uro deck. You have Jun mid range, which is just like a different take on Bowmasters and all that kind of stuff. Is it Phoenix is here in this kind of middle of tier two, which, as I mentioned earlier, gets to play with. Um, Gets to play with Treasure Cruise and Brainstorm and Faithless Looting all in a single deck, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, if you played Phoenix and Historic or something like that, for what it's worth, when I went to go look at how much it cost me to change my old Historic deck of Phoenix into, and also Explorer, I had Phoenix and Explorer as well. When I went to go make this, it cost me 13 rare wild cards and like four mythic rare wild cards, and that was it. So that's a pretty cheap deck for you to port over into um, Timeless, potentially, if you've played in any of the other formats. And then some of these really went straight to my heart. Grixis Shadow, I was like, Shadow is in this, and Teamer Battle Rage, and a whole bunch of other awesome cards right here for you to have. Uh, Dimir Control, and we can, oh, Deathrite Shaman is unbelievable, and then there's just a whole bunch of other stuff below, below here. 
I tried Phoenix out. I only played like two games before we had to get on the podcast because, you know, I was con- concentrating a little more on Cube. Stan, what did you try? Did you try Phoenix as well? Or I did, and I thought it was bad. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest, at least the version you sent me was bad. Like Phoenix with Mishra's Bobble doesn't seem right because it's, it's, it's got like the Mishra Bobble, the Dragon's Rage Channeler combo and yeah. as well as ledger shredder so like you can sort of understand like trying to build it with some of the Merktide package but like i i think there's something incongruous with with the way that it was built in the version that you shared with me yeah well i i like i said i didn't get to try it a ton but Devin, hm. what have you been playing what have you been enjoying all you've been playing it a lot the last few days like a lot so. and, and, and what do you think is like actually good what do you, what do you think is the tier list I mean, a lot of this, like at least as far as tier one decks, I've played, I think I've played everything in tier one, but the Yawgmoth deck, I played Zoo, Midrange, Natural Order, Titan, and Breach. I think all of those decks are pretty busted. Um, it does kind of make sense. I've played a little bit with Sultai and Jund to have those decks below the other ones because, uh, you know, and this is kind of like a tale as old as time. The midrange decks just cannot beat Field of the Dead they just can't like they're they're not equipped to end the game very very quickly so it kind of makes sense if titan's popular that's kind of pushing out the oko decks uh as good as oko is it doesn't really stand up the field i haven't tried phoenix myself i haven't i've i tried a little bit of shadow but not too much honestly i spent most of my time playing the stick attack deck and and trying to Mm -hmm. refine that um which you know much to my chagrin but it there's there's something there but as far as the tier one decks, yeah, like the Rakdos Storm deck is is really sicko. The Natural Order Titan deck is really good. And then the Domain Zoo, those are kind of like the three that have definitely impressed me the most. I've played a lot with all those. What have you been seeing? Have you been seeing a lot of meta decks or has it just been all over the place? Quote unquote meta decks, like, or do you feel like people are just trying all kinds of stuff? It's so hard to try things on Arena. So it I is. like, I totally, yeah. that's yeah. always been the downfall of the platform is like, you can't really brew and test the deck that I've played against the most is definitely the Primeval Titan deck. That seems to be the most popular. And I think it, a lot of that is because it doesn't use a lot of the like Strixhaven archive stuff besides the four natural order. It's basically all stuff that was previously in standard. I guess Primeval Titan too. But once you get those past those two cards, it's like once field, um, most of the lands, those you might already have from just previous standard sets. So it seems like it's probably a pretty cheap deck if you already had an arena collection. Um, played against a lot of mono black too, uh, mostly because you can play Dark Ritual and Necropotence. And it turns yeah. out that that strategy is still pretty good. And I've lost to it a lot. Love it. Is that an aggro list? Like, is it because I saw the list that I saw were kind of like weird combo e decks with the not not weird but they were like more mid-range it, they played more like coffers yes. where it was like l- threat light but we have the ring and we have necro like the old deck that i loved with necro of course was like i'm spinning gonna play, darkness yeah spinning darkness yeah. but also i'm gonna play you know the knights from uh ice age and fallen fallen empires like the yeah. two drop two ones and that stuff so these are these are more mid-rangey uh necro decks than they are aggro yeah, it's like Ritual, Necro, Ring, Shieldred, 
um, Bow Masters. And then the other card that's really, really sick with Necro is the Black March. I think it's yeah. uh, Wretched Sorrow. It's like your you favorite just, like, card from Coffers, right? Yeah, you just Necro for 12 or whatever. And as long as you find um, as long as you find a March, you can still in your end step when you have 14 cards in your hand, just pitch all of them and then go again next turn. It's like, yeah, it, it's kind of absurd. So hit um, one, two, two for 14 damage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that deck has been pretty good. Other than that, I mean, I played against the burn deck a couple of times. That's a good budget deck as well. The Rakdos burn deck, because you still get to play Luris and, you know, Luris is pretty good. Uh, you get to play Ragavan too. I haven't played, I played a, a, against a couple of different like Uro Oko piles, but again, I, I really don't like those as much because they're just so bad into field. Yeah, that's, w- that's w- pretty w- much it. Field of the Dead? Field of the Dead, they're, yeah. They're bad into field. I just wonder, like, you have... Oko, Uro, Minskin Boo, and Ragavan. Like, I feel like just play play sets of those four cards and then, like, tie it up with, like, uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler, Bobble. You know, maybe if you can squeeze in a, a Ledger Shredder just to, like, smooth out your hand when you have a bunch of legendaries. Like, is that not. You can play Delighted Halfling too. Throw in Delighted Halfling. There yeah. you go. Like, it, is is that really you think not good enough even with Field of the Dead in the in the format? I mean, I I've I've tried I've seen a little bit of four color mid range, uh, with like like you said, Death Rite, Mint. Oh, you can Coco, play Once Uro. Upon a Time. It's a green yep. deck. You can play Once Upon a Time too. You can just play all band cards. You, you can basically build a deck with sixty band cards. And I'm here for it for some reason when I do not think I would be. Uh, one thing that's interesting about the format, so this may or may not be right. I'm taking a look at Scryfall right now, and if you just search for timeless cards on Scryfall, it's nine thousand cards are legal modern is 18,000 cards so it's actually a pretty big format if you look at it that way pioneer has according to them has 10,000 cards legal or almost 11,000 cards legal so i i don't know if that's like got multiple art versions or anything weird like that and it doesn't look like it but it looks like it's possible that timeless is close to the same size as pioneer which is kind of interesting thing to think about as well because, you know, that's a pretty robust format, and you do have a certain amount of churn. You do have a tendency to occasionally have a best deck emerge that won't go, that's stubborn and won't go away. But they've said that they were going to be, for Timeless, are they going to be aggressive with banning, or are they just kind of let things roll and see what happens? It felt like maybe we don't know yet. I don't know if they really announced anything pertaining to that. Um, it would kind of be, it, it would make sense to me that if you're going to have this high density of busted cards, just kind of let people like, just play it as it lies kind of thing. Because if you start banning, like, where do you end? You know, like how many broken, there's like at least 30 cards that you could be like, Oh yeah, you should, you know, you could consider banning that card. So I think they, they would probably have to go a little bit too deep into that. I mean, as far as I'm like, I've been playing the format and, you know, I've played against a lot of different decks and it really doesn't seem like anything is super problematic. Like everybody's just doing busted things and that's just kind of, it's, it's almost like what you sign up for when you play the format. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You just, you're signing up for games that might be over on turn three. So just like know that going into the, into this game. What a dream. One other thing, one other deck that, uh, that I, I have played quite a bit with that I've actually kind of liked a lot is Ponza, believe it or not. So you actually mm-hmm. have uh, one ring, or excuse me, you have Delighted Halfling and Utopia Sprawl for Man Acceleration, and then you get to play Blood Moon, Stone Rain, uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and what was the other three drop? I had another three drop that I can't remember. Name's escaping me. But then you get to play Karn and one ring on four, and you get to play Minsk too. And one thing that I found playing that deck is a lot of decks are just completely stone cold to a Blood Moon. 
So just being yeah. like a good Blood Moon deck that has like Blood Moon plus pressure seems like a really good recipe in this format. Especially since, you know, we we only what's the only like colorless, like what are even the colorless answers to Blood Moon that are floating around there? Like, I don't even know if there are any, right? Not really. I mean, the Titan deck has like basic forest Beseju. Right. Um, and then, you know, maybe the other like, you know, four color mid range decks would have that excess as well, or they can like float green mana Terra Sunder. But they're like, if it resolves, if you have it on turn two and they only have a, a non basic, it's just, it just feels like the game's over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Blood Moon, maybe the good guy once again, right? <laughs> Always has been. Always True. has been. W- what's more likely in 2024? Dive Down is a timeless podcast or Dive Down's a cute podcast? Both. I, I will say, like, timeless, it has a high cost of entry barrier like you have to invest in wild cards you can't try decks as you guys said brewing is hard it's a, a low data format as you guys said like I, I i tried out phoenix because it was really easy to craft with what wild cards i had but i i, I feel like it's designed for arena players more than it is for magic players if, if the arena if is or or no, i uh, think timeless, timeless is designed for arena players more than it is to attract like other magic players to arena. If, if that makes sense. I don't know. Like, I think we'll have to see what happens. Like given that Devin and ever have kind of like given it a shot and a couple of other people are out there switching. Like, I'll be curious to see what happens, but they do it for the memes, Dave. They, I know that you guys do it because you know, your job is to play a lot of magic and sometimes you want to go see like where people are checking things out. Totally makes sense. But I also think that if people think about and understand like what their relationship with arena is, I think it can be an okay thing to do, right? Like maybe you just can't, you just can't play every deck, you know, and I don't know. We'll see. I have a complicated, I have complicated feelings about arena as a platform. We've talked about it a couple of times, but I, I feel enough like, Hey, this format looks fun that I'm probably willing to craft one or two more decks in timeless to give it a try and then kind of go from there. And, you know, it's something I can do on the train on the way to work a little bit easier than playing moto is like all those other things we've talked about arenas portability in the past. Um, you know, it is what it is. I don't know, Devin, where, what do you feel like you feel like right, right now we're just on honeymoon experimentation phase. Like, let's see what happens basically. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, like I said, you know, there has been a lot of like, there have been so many people asking me for timeless content and it seems to be very, very well received right now. So it just kind of, uh, you know, as a content creator, like, is that going to stay the same? Is there people going to be interested in it two, three, four weeks out once they've seen, you know, death, right? Shaman into Oko for the 28,000th time. Uh, you know, how, how long is that going to, how long is that sustainable? Um, so we'll have to see kind of how it plays out, but yeah, like you said, honeymoon phase, I've been having an absolute blast. People seem to like it a lot. And, uh, you know, as it, I'm just going to keep casting these cards until they tell me not to. I'm going to do a little thing here for for listeners that have gotten this deep into the show. If, like, tell us what you think, you know, comment on YouTube, comment on Spotify, send us a note, get, hop in the Discord, like, tell us if you are really interested in Timeless and you want to see what we think about it, uh, that kind of stuff as well. Because it's not, you know, we have done three formats on this show in the past, so it's, not impossible that we would spend a little time carving off looking at this alongside modern and pioneer. Um, you know, never say never. I think the question should be open beyond timeless. Like, do you like cube content? Do you want to see standard content during the RCQ season? Are standard RCQs even firing? No one knows. Are standard cards viable? It's impossible to say. 
I mean, certainly we've been doing this show for five years. Now, this is like a total aside. This is the first show of 2024. We've been doing this show for five years. We've tried different things. We always come back to modern. We always come back to pioneer. And that's kind of what we're known for. But it's okay. And what to we have, like to play. We're going to branch like out most. from time to time. Yeah. And yeah. branching out from time to time is important just to keep like your brain engaged. But look, if, if you want to see... We're not going to talk about Commander. I'm just going to put that like right. We're not going to talk oh, about Commander. No, we yes. just lost. Sorry. Like, we just lost a hundred listeners. So I know. I'm really. I'm we really, never had them. I'm we really sorry really to say that, those. but um, we're not. It, should we talk about Commander for a minute? No. No. Why does it have a band list? It's the stupidest. No. No. <laughs> no. No. We're done. We're done. No, we're Close done. it off, Tanner. Yes. <laughs> All right, Stan, take us out of here. But email us for real. Like email or tweet at us and tell us if there's something else that you want you are interested in that you want us to talk about and otherwise we'll just see what happens otherwise we're gonna talk about mortal kombat 1 and not the new one but the original sega genesis super nintendo mortal kombat all right that wraps up this week's show if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out if you use apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review and subscribe to devon aka doomwake on twitch and youtube follow subscribe donate buy him a coffee if you'd like to submit a question to our podcast, you can reach out via Twitter at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. Leave comments on our Patreon. Leave comments in the episode discussion channel of our Discord. We are reachable. And head over to heavyplay.com to get some incredible deck and dice boxes and play mats and sleeves featuring the Equip Mag system and other ergonomic features. Use promo code the dive down 2023 for 10% off your first order. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the Dive Down 23. That's all one word for 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using promo code the Dive Down 23. 23 is spelled out on that one. So it's a, that's, that's a long promo code, the Dive Down 23, all spelled out, no numbers, all letters. And that gets you 15% off your first order at Barrister and Man. And save some money on paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming using promo code DIVE8 for 8% off your order with them. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and draft, vintage, cube, and try Timeless!